Amen. Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 22. We're almost done with the book of Joshua. Joshua 22. If you don't have a Bible, look around you, and um, one of our church members will share their Bible with you and help you find your place. Joshua 22. And I uh, encourage you to be back this evening. We're going to have a great service tonight in our evening service. And we're going to take some time to give some instruction, challenge, and prayer for our upcoming Friend Day. In your bulletin, if you look inside there, we substituted the prayer card with a card we call the Circle of Influence. Same concept. But I want you to think about who you have influence over. We're asking all of our church members, all of our attendees, if you'll take some time to write in there anywhere up to 10 names of people that you will commit to praying for and make a face-to-face invitation to come to our special friend day. I was very encouraged by several of our classes this morning. Uh, they were taking prayer requests and just around the room, like popcorn, people were getting up and saying, hey, I'm going to pray for so-and-so, they're going to come, and pray for so-and-so, I've invited them to come. And if we all do our part making face-to-face invitations, we'll have a very, very strong turnout that day. So let me encourage you about that. Let me encourage you also in these next two weeks, we're on crunch time getting ready for Friend Day. And if you can help out around the church for uh, some special projects, see me or one of our pastoral staff members. We'll get you signed up for something there. If you can join us for outreach, we're going to be doing a lot of outreach in addition to people we know and getting them to come to Friend Day. But come tonight. We'll give you more instruction about that and take some time to pray for these names. And we're really praying for God to do something great. We're privileged to have that Sunday morning. Dr. Tom Farrell is our special speaker. I normally love to preach those, those services, and I love to be integrally part of that. But with Dr. Farrell coming for a revival means, I just felt it was the better part of wisdom to have Dr. Farrell preach that morning. And God will use him. God has used him greatly over the last 40-something years and seeing many, many thousands of people come to Christ through events like this. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Joshua 22, let's look at verse 10. Joshua 22, verse 10. I want to read through a lengthy passage of Scripture to kind of give you some understanding. We're going to t- take some time to teach this morning, and then we're going to kind of pull it all together and just tell you some really, really practical principles that we can use to help us in our people relationships at, that we have. Notice verse 10. And when they came into the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. Now, you want to look at verse 10 and underline that phrase, a great altar. If you're not familiar with this passage of Scripture, this, this is kind of the, the hub of, of controversy. A problem developed because this, these two and a half tribes built this altar. Verse 11. And the children of Israel heard say, and underline that phrase, heard say. How many know what hearsay is, right? You heard something, but the facts are not substantiated. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Wow, we've got a civil war on the brinks. There's a border, the Jordan River, separating the two and a half tribes and the other nine and a half. The nine and a half, we've spent 21 chapters, excuse me, we spent 21 chapters looking at the nine and a half tribes occupying the land of promise, which was on the western side of the Jordan. Now, the western side is going towards the Mediterranean Sea. The two and a half tribes, going back to Numbers 32, they saw it was a land, it's the land of Bashan and Gilead, a land that was great for grazing cattle, raising sheep, and things like that. They said, that land is good for us to stay here. Moses, can we stay here? Moses told them, be, be careful now, you can stay there, but you have to help your brothers, uh, your brothers, the other nine and a half tribes, to fulfill their obligation. So they fulfilled their obligation, we'll see today, and the two and a half stayed on the eastern side. Now, we've got this border of the Jordan River. This altar is built by the two and a half tribes on the eastern side. It was big enough to be seen. The nine and a half says, we don't like what we see. We're not, we don't need to ask any questions. Let's get our swords. We're going to go fight our brothers. They're about ready to go to war. Let's keep reading. And verse 13 says, the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. 
And with him, ten princes of each house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel. And each one was ahead of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half tribe of Manasseh and to the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord. Man, it's great when a church is together, but when they're, they're together about and united about going to war, we've got to get beneath the surface there. Thus saith the congregation, what trespass is this that you've committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have builded you an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of pure too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there is a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be robbed of the whole congregation of Israel. Hey, watch what's going on. The whole congregation, nine and a half tribes, says, hey, you guys have messed up. We're not sure what this is all about. We're just concluding our hearts. You've sinned. We've concluded in your heart that what you're doing, you've trespassed the Lord, and you're leading us back into a place where we have, we barely have recovered from God's chastisement from just a few months before. Note verse 19. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass you over into the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession with us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in rebuilding you an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And Israel, he shall know if it be transgression or if it be again, or if, it, if, if or if it be in rebellion or if it be in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. Notice verse 23, that we have built this built, built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer their own bird offering or meat offerings or to offer peace offerings. Own. Let the Lord himself require of it. Now, this morning, I want you to notice something here. The two and a half tribes and the nine and a half tribes, all 12 of them before this incident, were very unified. They were very strong. They were together about what they were doing. This altar became a point of controversy, or if you might say, they felt like, it, the, the nine and a half tribes felt like there was being sent a mixed signal to them. And they didn't like what they saw. This morning I want you to look at this passage, and I want to preach you a message I've entitled, Unmixing Mixed Signals. And we're going to look at the subject this morning of misunderstandings and uh, uh, being quick to jump the gun and seeing some things that are very practical for us in our relationships. And what I'm going to deal with this morning happens in our marriages. It happens between parents and children. It happens in churches. It happens at work. It happens in all of our social people relationships. I believe God has a mind for us about this matter. I believe today as we look at this passage of Scripture, especially right as we get towards the end of jo the book of Joshua here, that God has something special He wants to tell us and teach us to prevent us maybe from going into a situation that could wind up causing great grief in many, many relationships. Now, Father, today, thank You for the songs that we've sung, the words that have been said, the offering that's been taken up, the assembly of your God, wonderful people here today. And we're asking in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He would be lifted up. We pray that the Spirit of God would be the one who quickens, because the flesh profiteth nothing. We pray for the Word of God to be quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it may pierce and divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows. We pray this morning that our conscience and our hearts will be softened and receptive and tender and teachable. We pray this morning that you'll help us. Maybe this morning that this particular subject we're looking at will be a solution for someone going through a very similar situation. Father, we don't have the wisdom we need, but you do. And we know that your word is light to our feet, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're praying this morning that you open our eyes, behold wonderful things from your word, speak to us, encourage us, guide us, resolve for us, help us to see reconciliation, help us to see solidarity and unity, help us to see God today, the answer from God above, because Lord, you desire peace for them who make peace. And so today, we ask that your blessing 
upon this message in our time together, would you work past my inadequacies, my insignificance, my weaknesses? I pray for the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit who never fails to be in our midst this morning. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, question. We want to start with a question this morning. Have any of you ever been misunderstood? Yeah, all of us have. Have you ever said something or done something that was not received in the way you intended it to be received and it wound up being a major misunderstanding and grief occurred and people just, you know, whoever it happened with, you just had a lot of issues to deal with there. Here's some illustrations. They're somewhat humorous in nature. A little girl was talking to her daddy. Listen very carefully. A little girl was talking to her daddy. She said, Daddy, who is Richard Stans? He said, Richard Stans? I've never heard of him. She said, he must be an important person. And the daddy said, why? She said, well, daddy, when we pledge allegiance to the flag at school, we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and the Republic for Richard Stans. She misunderstood. It means for which it stands, not Richard Stans, but sometimes people misunderstand. Here's another one. One week, a Sunday school teacher just finished telling her class about the story about Christmas. And can't you believe just in a few more weeks will be Christmas upon us. And after talking about the story about the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all that, she asked this question. Now, who who do you think is the most important woman in the Bible? Who's the most important in terms of all the women in the Bible? And the little boy raised his hand and said to the teacher, Well, teacher, I believe the most important person in all the Bible, most important woman in the Bible, is Eve. And the teacher said, Eve? Why do you say Eve? And he said, well, very simply, he says, there are two days of the year named after her, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, you know. And so sometimes there's misunderstandings we have. Like, you never know what they're thinking there. Or how about this one? Um, a little boy uh, apparently misunderstood the term of a broken home. And his father came up to him after having heard from several parents. And he said to him, he said, Billy, I don't care if the basement wall is cracking. I don't care if we've had broken windows. He said, I don't care if the porches are breaking. But please stop telling your teachers and everyone around us that you come from a broken home. That's a misunderstanding there, right? And I, and I could go on and on and on like that. But you know what I mean? Sometimes you can say things that are misunderstood. And sometimes you could be somewhere and you could be completely innocent, but it's misunderstood. We're looking at a passage of Scripture that deals with misunderstandings. In fact, one of many passages that deal with misunderstandings. With misunderstandings, sometimes we find ourselves becoming very judgmental. And sometimes if we become very judgmental, we can become very critical. Now, I'm just going to tell you this this morning. If you don't know, I'm an old-fashioned independent Baptist. I'm an old-fashioned fundamentalist. I believe in the core doctrines of Scripture. Now, I'm not as old as Moses, but I'm old enough to tell you I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hardcore fundamentalist when it comes to the Bible. I believe all the Bible is the Word of God. I believe God's Word is inspired. I believe Jesus is sinless. I believe the virgin birth of Christ. I believe God is eternal. I believe that Jesus is eternal. That He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not believe what some theologians are teaching today that Jesus became eternal at His incarnation when He was born. No, He's always been eternal. I believe in the sinless nature of Jesus Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit indwells you at the moment of your conversion. I don't believe it happens later on. I believe that the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit that we need for service are two different distinct actions. I'm a hardcore fundamentalist. I believe that the way we reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is through soul winning and missions and getting people out and winning souls. And I believe that we, as we build a church, that we must build it God's way because Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Now that being all said, I can tell you this, is sometimes misunderstandings happen. People misunderstand things. There's a young group of God coming up, young preachers and pastors coming up, and they're doing some things a little bit differently, and in some cases, a lot differently. And before I jump the gun, sometimes I've got to take a look and say, okay, and, and I tell our church all this all the time, we know when you see something that doesn't make sense, before you accuse, ask before you accuse. Ask and get the questions answered. Find out what the facts are. But sometimes, you know, as an old-fashioned fundamentalist, I'm kind of quick to jump the gun, I'm, and, I, and I can be guilty of being judgmental and making a conclusion without having the facts. So it's important for for us to have the facts. Uh, facts. I've got a good preacher friend of mine, not not uh, very far from here, and uh, he looks at every church in his particular area. And, and, and the first thing he looks at is, are you local church or are you universal church? And uh, so, you know, sometimes they get around him, and everybody seems to be that unless they're like him, they're universal church. And, I, and one time I had to ask him, said, "Brother, did you ever ask them what they believe about the church? You're just concluding everybody's universal church." By the way, just if you're not sure, we are local church and not universal church. Amen. 
So anyway, all that being said, you know, you just need to have the answers. Now, misunderstandings happen all the time. Misunderstandings, misunderstandings, misunderstandings happen in marriages. They happen in families. They happen in friendships. They happen everywhere. Notice the Bible tells us something very important as a principle we must apply. Notice Proverbs 18.13. It's either in your notes. You might want to turn to it. And I want you to memorize this after today. Proverbs 18.13, I happened to read this in my devotions while I was going, preparing for the message, so kind of the timing of that was really good. But Proverbs 18.13 is a good people principle. It's a matter of wisdom. And if you're like me sometimes, you find yourself jumping the gun, and you make conclusions without the facts. You and I need what Proverbs 18.13 says. It says this, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Let's read that together, if you would, please, from the English Bible, from the King James Version, if you have that. Let's, let's read it together. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Now, the whole passage here for about six or seven verses deal with this subject of misunderstanding and the consequences to misunderstanding, and then later on, how to reverse that, that problem. How do you deal with it? And we're going to see some things about that this morning. We're looking at the, we're looking at the two and a half tribes who went back to the eastern side of, the, of, the, of, of Canaan and dwelt there and a misunderstanding that happened. So let's start with verse 1 real quickly. Let's go through what happened this passage of Scripture, okay? Number 1, notice in verses 1 to 9, we see a peaceful departure. Now, the two and a half tribes, going back to chapter 1, Joshua went to them and he said, listen, I need you to, to fulfill your promise you gave to Moses. And I need you to stay with us until the other nine and a half complete the battles they need to complete. And we get our inheritance. They said, we'll do it. They said, Joshua, we promised Moses. We promise you we're going to do it. So now in chapter 22, verse 1, we see in verses 1 to 3, verses 1 to 9, we see a peaceful departure between these two groups of people. Notice the first thing we see in verses 2 to 3. We see a commended obligation. He, uh, Joshua starts out by commending them. Look at verse 2. He said unto the two and a half tribes, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and, I, and you have obeyed my voice and all they commanded you. He was commending them for staying with them for many Many years until the nine and a half tribes could occupy their land. They kept their promise. They did what they said they were due. He was commending them for their obligation. They did all that was commanded them. It's interesting in verse 2. He said, you have kept what Moses told you. You have kept what I told you. You didn't deviate one beat. Now I have a thought I want to give you. At the end of the faith journey we have, may it be said that you obeyed the Lord with all your heart. When you get to the end of your faith journey, may it be said that you did not quit, but stood steadfast and immovable. The last few days as I've been uh, ministering, trying to help me encourage it to Mildred's family, encouraged my heart. So I was sharing with them uh, scriptures and what she enjoyed. Here's what the family had to say about Mildred's testimony. They said, Mildred loved the Lord. Now that's a good testimony. They said, Mildred loved to talk about the Bible. Mildred loved to read the Bible to us. Now I love that. That's great. They said, Mildred loved the church. They said, Pastor Fong, Mildred loved you as her pastor. She loved the church. She loved what the church was all about. And sometimes I'll tease people. I said, you have to be at church to understand who Mildred was. Some of you wonder, who's Mildred? If you ever saw an elderly short lady about four foot, eight inches tall with a walker trying to run you over. That was Mildred. Okay. She'd run you over. She'd run me over. She'd make her way there. I don't know why she needed a walker because she walked as fast as me. She was just going that she'd run you over. I remember one time I made a call on, on, on Mildred back in one of the retirement homes she was at. I came at lunchtime, was by myself. And they said they showed me up there and she was eating at the dining room table and she was eating a corn dog. Now, how me understand if you're 80 years old, you're not supposed to be eating a corn dog. Amen. You know, you're not supposed to be eating a corn dog at my age. All right. And she's eating a corn dog. And she said, I knew you were coming. I saved you a corn dog, Pastor Fong. I said, oh man, I can't eat a corn dog. Amen, you know. I said, what did you do? I didn't eat it. That was bad. Amen. But, but you know, just thank the Lord. She had a great testimony. Man, they talked about her. Her daughter-in-law told me yesterday, you know what? Mildred loved the Lord. And what a commendation is to say that these two and a half tribes, they fought the battles, they stayed by the stuff, they endured the bloodshed, they brought out their swords, they walked through the night, they went through the cold, they went through the heat, but they kept their obligation, they stayed right with it. Let me encourage you, in the Christian life, you'll get discouraged, you're going to have up days and down days. Before I've got to the pulpit, tell Brother Denny, I got a text message from some new believers and they're going through some discouragement, and they're not here today, and it kind of just dropped my heart for just a minute there, so, oh, they're not here today. 
today and I'm just, my heart is racing. I want to go be with them and help them through this trial right now. But listen, we're going to go through hard times and difficult times. But just listen, it's like running a race. You just stay at the race and finish the journey well. Amen. We see a committed obligation, but notice something else in verses four to five. We see a committed obedience. Notice in verses four and five, he's telling them now, okay, I'm going to commend you for what you did. But he says, now as you go forward, I want to encourage you. We're going to be parting ways. There's two and a half of you going on the other side of Jordan. We're parting ways. He says, promise me that you'll stay obedient to the Lord. Look what he says. And now the Lord your God has given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you into your tents. He says, go home. Take care of your home. Take care of your spouses. Take care of your children. Turn ye, get you to your tents and into the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Look at verse 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with your heart and with all your soul. You know he's saying to them? Listen, I'm thankful that you kept your obligations. Now I want you to commit to being obedient. I want you to go into that promised land and obey the Lord. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, a lot of you, I don't see you again probably to Monday or to the following Sunday. And I might text you, you might text me, I might call you, you might call call me and I don't see you but my greatest prayer all week long for us as a church from this side all the way to this side obey the Lord stay faithful to God stay in his word pray have the joy of the Lord be forgiving have a sweet spirit obey the Lord read his word when God says to do something do it love the Lord live for the Lord labor for the Lord be diligent I'm reminded what Paul told Timothy before he was to leave this life he said Timothy continue thou in the things which thou hast heard of me may encourage us as the church this morning. Obey the Lord. Love God. Times may change. Politicians will change. Laws will change. Jesus is still the same. His laws are still the same. The Word of God is the same. You continue to obey it. Robert Murray McShane was telling a man as they were ordaining to the gospel ministry, he said this, sir. He said, sir, in great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be success. It is not great talents God blesses so much. It's great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of of God. It may suggest to you this morning that you and I as light and salt and darkness, we must realize today as wherever God has planted us, whatever neighborhood may be, whatever job or corporation you work for, whatever city God may send you to, whatever it may be, let us obey the Lord and re- realize that we are to take what God has given us and be a good testimony. I'm praying this week as we get towards Friend Day, I told our Heroes Together class this morning, I, I'm praying for all the most difficult individuals that I have a great list of, of people who have spouses that are not saved and many of you here this morning have, have some spouses that have a spouse that's not saved. And I'm praying for God, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit to crack open their hearts and get them to be open. They'll be here Sunday, October 28th for Friend Day. And as Brother Farrell preaches, that their hearts will be open and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But let me tell you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, if you're not obeying the Lord, if you're not keeping His commandments, how will God answer that prayer? 1 John 3.22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive Him. Listen, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing His sight. They were committed to obedience. But notice verses 6 to 9, something very interesting. As they have this peaceful departure, we see a compensated occupation. Joshua blesses them. And I want you to notice verse 8. He said to them, verse 8, now he, he said, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren, and the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, return, departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, and to go into the country. Gilead to the land of their possession, where they were possessed, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now watch what's happening here. The two and a half tribes have fought these battles. They put their lives at risk. They've had to exercise some faith. They've had to exercise some prayer. They kept their obligation. They remained obedient. They promised to be obedient. Now they're going back. And the Bible says something very interesting, verse 8. They're going back with much riches. Hey, let me tell you something. Whenever you serve God and whenever you exercise faith, whenever God answers prayer, whenever God has worked your life, thank God for the much riches He gives us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God this morning that it may not be material possession, but you're better off spiritually. Your soul is increased in His soul endeavor. You're better off in faith and you're better off in grace and you're better off in love. I'll tell you this this morning. One of the best cures for your life when you're down and you're discouraged and depressed is go find a partner that you can go with and go sow it and win some souls to Jesus Christ. I took one of our men 
out. We're sitting here this morning. We went out on Friday. What a great morning. We had prayed over that morning for God to do things. We got to the third house, third house we got to. A lady trusted Christ, her Savior, got on her prospect list. Went down to another two houses, talked to another lady, gave her assurance of salvation. He went across the street, talked to another lady. I think she's here today. The lady may have come this morning to church. I mean, I'm just thankful for that. And listen, we both came with our hearts heavy, with burdens on our heart and things to do. But I'm going to tell you, after an hour and a half of just knocking on some doors and telling people about the love of God, that all changed and our disposition changed. And God, we had a better day than we started with. Amen. And I'm just saying this morning, these people left with much riches and much cattle, much silver and gold, much brass and iron and much raiment. The Lord shined his face upon those two and a half tribes and they went back on the other side. Better off because they exercised faith and they're obedient. Let me tell you this morning, as we think about this peaceful departure, God wants you and me to take his word every Sunday and every service, Sunday morning and Sunday nights. And let me just throw in there. There's a misconception about I preach the same message Sunday mornings. Let me assure you today, I don't preach the same message from Sunday morning or Sunday night. Amen. There are different messages. Same thing for Wednesday night. We're trying to feed your soul, to build you up. The Bible says the soul of the righteous shall not famish. You don't want to be spiritually deficient. You want to build up your soul in the Lord. And we want you to go out with much riches. We want you with much more of Jesus than what you came in with. Amen. We want you to have much more of the Holy Spirit's filling than you came in with. Amen. We want you to have equipped so you're ready to see God answer prayers this coming week and God doing something for you. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown unto towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And let me tell you, sometimes we could be laboring fervently, but silently. And we could be laboring in the shadows and we think nobody knows. Let me tell you this morning, those believers may have thought nobody knew, but God knows. And God knows what you're doing in secret. And God knows those times of prayer. And God knows those who come here during the week and help out around the church. And God knows those extra times you take to go so winning and tell somebody about Jesus. Or it's like God knows that you've taken time Maybe to visit someone who is hurting and you brought maybe some food to them and encourage them. I'm just saying this morning, thank God today, those believers went back much better off than when they came. And let me tell you today, just being in church today, you're going to be much better off than when you came. We see this morning a peaceful departure. Notice, secondly, verses 10 to 20, we need to move quickly. Notice a potential division. Now, things are great. There's unity. There's happiness. They bid them God's peace. See you guys later. You're going up back on the eastern side. That's great. The other nine and a half tribes are already settled. They've gotten their cities. Cities of refuge are set up. Everything's going good. And then we get to verse 9. Look at verse 9, please. Excuse me, verse 10. And when they came into the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, this is the eastern side, the children of Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. Well, the first thing verse 9 tells us is about their action. Somehow the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, half tribe Manasseh, the other half stayed on the western side. They got together and agreed, we're going to be on the other side. The great altar that the other nine and a half are worshiping is in Shiloh. Shiloh had been established during Joshua's time as the place of worship, the sacrifice, things like that. And they get over on the eastern side, these two and a half tribes, and they build this great altar. Now, we're not told the dimensions, but we can, we can interpret from this. It was great enough that probably from the other side of Jordan, you could probably see this altar and you knew that it was an altar. Now, when altars were constructed in those days, you knew it was an altar. Altars were places of worship. Whether you believed in God or whether you were pagan, altars were places of worship. They would be made out of stones. There would be sacrifices done. There would be burnings there. There would be things that would happen. Altars were a place where people would worship God. It was a place where sacrifice and prayers would be offered. When you built an altar, it was implied sacrifices would happen there. There would be bloodshed there. There would be a fire burnt there. Incense might go up. Altars indicated your spiritual affection. Altars indicated where people's hearts were at and indicated where you were at and who you worship. And so the nine and a half tribes, the Bible says there was hearsay on their part. They saw this altar. As far as the two and a half tribes, they put this altar up. And so they, they made this action. They put this great altar up. Now, there was no instruction 
suggestion to them to give them that. Uh, Joshua didn't tell them to build an altar. Uh, the, the fairly, as we'll see later, Phineas didn't tell them to build an altar. They just agreed among themselves that they would build this altar. Now, they, didn't, they thought it was harmless. They didn't think there was anything wrong with it. As we'll see later on, their testimony declared they did not do it with wrong intentions. But because they did it and nobody else on the other side, on the western side, knew about it, their action caused concern. Their actions caused apprehension. Their actions caused red flags to go up. Now, let me give you a thought here as we consider their action. As Christians, we need to consider how our actions affect other people. You know, we get this place, we get 21, 22, we get a little bit older, and we just say, well, I'm going to do it because I just want to do it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, you have the prerogative as an adult, but let me remind you this morning. Sometimes we do things, if we're not very careful, it may convey the wrong message to people. And we have to be careful. We need to consider how our actions affect other people. Let me give you a thought. Questionable actions can be misunderstood. And listen, we know this from 1 Corinthians. Questionable actions can be misunderstood and can become a stumbling block to a weaker believer. If you're not careful just doing it because you feel like, I'm just going to do it anyway, without thinking through what you're doing, it could cause questionable actions. It could cause misunderstandings. It could lead to a stumbling block to somebody else. Hey, questionable actions can be misunderstood and is soon to be divisive and adversarial both doctrinally and practically. So these, these two and a half tribes, they agreed together. They erected this big altar for others to see from the other side. Pagans could see it. The other nine and a half tribes could see it. But there had been no consultation. There had been no discussion. And when the nine and a half saw it, they were smitten in their hearts, as we'll see. They looked at that and they saw it as a grievous action against God and against them. Hey, be careful. Therefore, brother and sister in Christ, that in your actions, that you don't send a mixed signal. Then your action, that it doesn't become a stumbling block to other people. Let's go further. We see the action, but notice number two, we see the accusation. Now notice verses 11 12. There was conjecture in this accusation. Conjecture means they had an idea, but without substantiation. They made some assumptions without some facts. There were some blanks that needed to be filled out. Notice verse 11 says, And the children of Israel heard say. Hearsay is when, is when somebody says this, Did you hear about so and so? Hearsay is, Somebody told me this. Hearsay is unsubstantiated fact. And the children of Israel say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan and the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Now, this I can use some examples. I'm not going to do it because of the audience this morning because I don't have time. But there's a lot of times this can happen in the case of a church. And for instance, if I if, if we said, and I'm not saying I'm going to do this, but let's just say if I use this example. Now, we, we believe in three to thrive. We have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service. But every now and then we might have, we might move our evening service and afternoon service. Or if we had a big Sunday morning outreach, we might make the decision say, well, you know what? We're going to have a big outreach and we'll just have a time of prayer rejoicing and let everyone have that particular Sunday evening to rejoice with their family. It's not that we don't believe in Sunday night service, but it might be by the lean of the Holy Spirit. We might feel like, hey, we just wanted to want you to take some time to just be at home and you worked hard and prayed hard and got ready for the big event and we just want you to just spend some time with your family for the day. But we're not going to do that all the time, but it might be perceived we did something like that. Someone else might come say, oh, you're no longer a Baptist church, you're no longer a fundamental Baptist church, you don't have a Sunday night anymore. You're going apostate. You're going away from the Lord. And without asking the questions, we might be we might be assumed to have been doing something that we're not even doing there. Notice verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation, the children of Israel gathered themselves together, Shiloh, to go up to war against them. Look at verse 12. They had hearsay. They made some assumptions. They assumed that already the two and a half tribes had become doctrinally in error. They already assumed that they not only doctrine error, that their hearts were not on the same page. They assumed that there was doctrinal error and faith issues and a number of other things that were wrong. And the other nine and a half just decided, let's get together. We're agreeing one thing. They must be apostate. So let's go to war and fight with them. Wow, that's a strong accusation. There was a major conjecture. Do you know many times hearsay is the work of busybodies? For Second Thessalonians 3, verse 11 and 12, this is what Paul had to say about that to the church of Thessalonica. For we hear that there are, there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then there are such we command, exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So we see the concern in this accusation. Notice we see a committee in this accusation. In verses 15 to 20, the children of Israel are hot. 
Man, they're ready to go to war. They've got their swords drawn. They're ready to cross that Jordan River. They're going to they're attack. They say, okay, we're going to lead the way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take one man of each of the, the nine and a half tribes, ten princes, ten leaders of each tribe, plus Phineas, who was the high priest. We're going to send you over as a delegation to lead the way. And this committee was to go to set the way, led by Phineas, to find out what's going on. And I don't have time to read it, but you might want to write in your notes Deuteronomy 13, verses 12 to 16. Very important passage. Deuteronomy 13, verses 12 to 16, gives instructions by Moses that if something wasn't right or didn't have the right appearance, you need to search out the matter. You need to go substantiate it. You need to have some facts before you come to a conclusion. He says, don't write them off without getting the facts. Don't say that they've gone liberal. Don't say they've gone left until you search out the facts. Deuteronomy 13 gives us good instruction about that. It corresponds and corroborates with, with Proverbs 18, 13. And so they sent Phineas. Now, we'll see more about Phineas, but Phineas was the high priest. He was the son of Eli. Phineas had already proven himself. Now, he was a man, as we'll see in a minute, who could think soundly and of prudence. And thank the Lord that... that uh, jo- and by the way, Joshua's not even in the midst of this because he's an older man at this point. And he's kind of interesting to see how the congregation will respond to this matter. And so he, he tell, they, they elect Phineas and said, Phineas, you need to lead the way. Now, thank God they chose a spiritual man to lead the way, not a carnal man. Hey, churches go through crisis. You don't need a rebel rouser standing up and say, well, we need to do it this way because this is what happened. You need a man who spent time in prayer and even fasting to get the mind of God before you go forward into something there. We, we deal with church matters sometimes like we do secular matters, and we think we just need to get up and do something. Hey, listen, if you don't back it up with prayer and fasting, sometimes you may do the wrong thing. So we see a concern, we see a committee, but notice this verses 15 to 20, we see the complaint. Notice verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel? They just saw the altar and said, You've sinned. The word trespass is a very strong word. The word trespass could mean basically you crossed a forbidden line. The word trespass can also mean that you are you're equivalent to being very depraved. We use the word depraved as talking about someone who's, who's basically pagan in their thinking. They already made the assumption. They saw this great altar. They didn't ask what was being sacrificed. They didn't, they didn't really ask any question. They saw this great altar and they said, What trespass is this that you've done that you've committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from fond Lord? They presumed that they were backslidden. They presumed that as soon as they got on the other side, they turned away from God and that you've built you this altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Hey, they jumped the gun and said, You guys have done all these things that are wrong. It gets, a little, it gets a little more interesting. Look at verse 17. Is the iniquity pure too little for us, from which we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? The iniquity pure takes them back just a few years before when they sinned, by, when the men sinned, and uh, they, they got into gross immorality. And if my numbers are correct, if I remember right, about 25,000 men were killed that day by the Lord. And they're, they're still reeling from that. They remember, I mean, there are women that are alive who lost their husbands and their daughters who lost their fathers. And the, the nation is trembling in their shoes. They're thinking about, man, we're still thinking about the sin of Peor and how our nation messed up there. And we don't want to go down that path again. And then to make things even thicker, he talks about here in verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and he cursed the thing and uh, wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel and that man perished not alone his iniquity. They say, oh, we're still reeling from Achan's sin, which we saw in in in, in John. Joshua 7. And so they're quick to jump the gun and they've imagined that the, that the two and a half tribes have sinned against the rest of the nine and a half. And the nine and a half are concerned with the ten delegates and Phineas there that, that perhaps something bad has happened and the judgment of God will come upon the entire nation once again. And they're thinking, oh, we just got into the land and we just got into our possession. And we just got in our houses. What are you guys thinking? What are you doing? How could you just in just a short period of time go apostate? You go away doctrinally and you go away, uh, you go away from all the things of God and you're not walking. How could you be doing such a thing there? We see it all revolves around accusations. Let me say some statements this morning. They made the assumption they weren't following God. They made the assumption there was hostile rebellion. Accusations without substance can be tragic in its consequences. I mean, they almost went to war. Brother against brother. Accusations can be polarizing. Accusations without substance can be slanderous. Accusation of substance can result in defamation. Care to listen. Don't you get my heart this morning? This is a great church. It's a wonderful church. 
God has blessed this church. But we have an interesting makeup. We are a multi-ethnic church in many ways. We've got different languages and different cultural backgrounds and different socioeconomic status. We've got all these different things. And it's important that we don't let those things get in the way. And it's important that because maybe a decision was made and maybe you didn't hear about it in the beginning, that you make an assumption that there's something wrong with this or something wrong with that. Hey, let us remind ourselves it's always better to ask first before you accuse. Substantiated with facts. And there's these strong accusations. We're done. We see the action. We see the accusation. But notice the alienation. He said in verse 19, Notwithstanding, the land of your possession be unclean. And pass you over to the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Here's what they were saying. Okay, guys, you went back on the eastern side. If there's sin over there, if the pagans are bothering you, if it's an unclean land, you know what the best thing for you to do? You need to drop everything you have. You need to leave your possession behind. You need to come back over the Jordan River. You need to live over here with us. You need to just join over here with us because we see trouble brewing because of what you've done. They made these these assumptions about them. And basically, they felt like if you don't do what we're telling you right now, we are alienating ourselves. We're separating from you right here and then. Line of division was set in place. You know, it's sad. We hear something. We draw conclusions. And we'll say something like this. I'm not coming back to that church anymore because I was offended. Well, I'm not coming back to that church anymore because this happened. Or they must be going differently. Or this must be going on. Or this is happening here. But they never ask questions. Never come and say, ask the questions. What's going on? What, are you doing this? And where, where's this going? Anything like that? They make the assumption. And, and the Bible goes on by telling us in Proverbs 18, when that happens and we don't ask the right question, we don't get the right facts, a brother offended is harder to be one, the Bible says. And so we find this group of people here in a very, very difficult situation. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Are you someone... That's quick to jump the gun on other people? Are we someone in our tendency because we've been burned and hurt that we delight in finding faults with other people rather than looking for the best thing in their lives? Are you someone who picks up on heresy and spreads what you hear to others so that you can find someone else to join you? Are we someone that writes off other people without hearing them out? Are we someone who can differentiate between facts and hearsay? Do we know the difference between doctrine, commandments, and preferences? Or are we like the Pharisees in John chapter 8 after Jesus stood up in the Feast of the Tabernacles on that last day and He says, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And Jesus gave one of the greatest sermons recorded in Scripture there, and He had in the backdrop the doctor, this light, the lighting of the, of, the, of the temple lights that was shining on the hillside, and the pouring out of the water that had been drawn from the pool of Siloam, and the people were grasped at but there were people around Him, they were not, they would, they would not believe in Him. Jesus was doubted, and there was heresy and they wanted to entrap him and then we get from john 7 and john chapter 8 and we find them they take this woman that was found in the very act of adultery well my question first of all is what are those pharisees doing as peeping tops watching what this woman does and they said here we caught her in the very act what are you going to do about it jesus they already wrote that woman off. They wanted to see if Jesus was going to obey the letter of their law versus the mercies of God. And Jesus did what Jeremiah 17 says. He said, there's sins and iniquities I will write in the sand. And he started writing with his finger in the sand. You see, what do you think he was writing? I think he was writing out their sins and their names associated with the sins. According to Jeremiah chapter 17. As he's writing out there, he got up and says, okay, whoever among you that's without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. And beginning from the eldest to the youngest, they looked down on that sand and they started realizing, yeah, he's talking about me. And that woman who was under the, the spotlight of judgment, she had sinned. But the focal point was not just her sin. There were other sins that were just equally important that were present in that moment. He said, if you're without sin... You cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus exercised mercy to a woman who needed mercy. Let me tell you something this morning. When it's your fault, when it's your sin, when you've messed up, you know what you're thankful for? You're not thankful for judgment. You're thankful for mercy, aren't you? Amen? We're thankful for God's mercies there.
The Bible says God who's rich in his mercies. And so we see this, this potential division. But notice number three very quickly. What you notice, we see a pleasing disclosure. The nine and a half tribes, they're hot. They've gone the other side. They're standing right by that altar, the two and a half tribes. There's all these misunderstandings that are swirling around. And can't mind you, there's three million people involved with this. You know the story. If I start, if I said something, and I began here with Brother Gino, Brother Gino got it to Brother Irwin, and he got over here to the back of Brother Nick, and got over to the back over here to somebody else, to Miss Jackie over here, and got all the way over here to Brother Josh. You know by the time that whatever I said to Gino and gets all the way over here, it ain't the same story, is it? It's changed. It's been altered. We give our commentary to it. So they came to them and they said, okay, now we think you've trespassed. We think you've sinned. We're, you're going down the same pathway that Achan did. You're going to the same pathway as the sin of Peor. Now, tell us, what did you do? Why did you do this? And thank, I'm thankful as we look at this passage this morning, we're looking at the fact that it was Phineas leading the way. It was a spiritual man leading the way and making sure that they made the right choice and decision. Listen very carefully because this is the most important part of the message. Notice in this pleasing disclosure, first of all, we see the explanation. Verses 21 to 29, we see the explanation. Let me give you the explanation. First of all, they said because of time, this altar was established because of concern. Now, they're establishing up front, we want you to know our motive, why we established this altar. Hear us out. Before you write us off, hear us out. Notice in verses 24 to 27, they said the following. They said, if we have not, verse 23, that we have built this altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer thereon bird offerings or meat offerings or to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. He says, we didn't establish this to compete with you. We didn't establish this to do our own set of offerings different from you. That's why, beloved, listen to me today. That's why Hebrews 10.25, we assemble together as a church. We're not 15 churches meeting in different locations doing our own thing. We're one church meeting together because we are a local church. Amen? We're not going different places on that. And so, they said, listen, the Lord himself... The Lord himself judge our hearts. We didn't do this because we're trying to compete with you. By the way, ministries shouldn't compete with each other. In verse 24, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing. Now notice they're saying this. This is our concern. Now I don't know who the leaders that were speaking on behalf of Manasseh and Reuben and Gad. But they're, they're, man, they're pouring their hearts out right now. I want you to imagine them, verse 24 to 27. That we've built an altar to turn for, uh, excuse me, and if we have not rather not done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have we to do, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a border between us and you, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the land, so your children make our children seed from fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and for our generations after. Now, there was concern. They were concerned that their children and the next next generation, the subsequent generation, would say, what do, what do we have to do with you guys? You guys over here, we're over here. Don't come over here and worship with us. Don't, don't, don't come over here and see us. We, what do we do? To you? you don't fear the Lord. You've got your own altar. Go do your thing. And they were saying, hey, we... we we want this altar, we established this altar to be a witness. We, we, we established a pattern of this altar, just like the altar that's at Shiloh. We didn't do it to compete. We wanted that future generation to know we're the same. Now listen, today, we may have Chinese-speaking, Spanish-speaking, Tagalog-speaking, Romanian-speaking, whatever your language may be, and English-speaking, but we're the same because we're in Jesus Christ. Amen. The same blood that was shed on the cross was shed for every single sinner in this world. Amen. It doesn't matter your dialect, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter if you're from the north, or from the south, or the east, or the west, doesn't matter all that. What matters is this, you know, when Jesus died for us, the blood he shed, he shed it for every sinner this morning. We're one and the same, for there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, male or female, all are one in Jesus Christ this morning. There was concern. We don't want your children saying, what have you to do with the Lord? Now watch his parents, youth workers. We have to watch all the time, parents. We have to watch all the time that we're not forming cliques in our church. Cliques in our youth group. Cliques in our adult Sunday schools. We have preferences our own, our own group of people. We don't want to be around people. We're friendly. Hey, listen, everybody in the body of Christ is essential for each other. 
Everybody needs each other. You need to go back and read 1 Corinthians 12. Remind us, we are essential for each other. As they were saying, there was concern. We said, you know, we don't want your children telling us we don't belong with you. And we don't want our children to feel the same way that they don't belong with you. So there was concern. Notice the second thing. The altar was established for a connection. It was a pattern. Established a rallying point. Hey, this is what we had in mind with this altar. We'd meet here at this altar and you guys could lead it. Phineas, you could lead it and lead us in sacrifices. And God, you can lead us in just worshiping God. Listen, hey, by the way, worship should never be polarizing. Worship of God should always be unifying. But the altar was established for confederation, for unity. These two and a half tribes, you know what their heart's desire was? We just wanted everybody to know we're one. There's solidarity. There's unity. There's oneness. Interesting, this, these verses of Scripture, the word witness is used seven times in this explanation. We want it to be a witness. We want it to be a witness. We want it to be a testimony. We want it to be known that we're one and the same. We want it to be known that we, we believe the same thing. We worship the same God. In fact, it's very interesting as they start their appeal. Notice verse 22. They use some very, very strong Hebrew terminology to describe God. Notice they say, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of God. You know what they're saying? God knows here. He's Elohim. He's Adonai. He's Jehovah. He's the God of gods. There is no other God. They made this statement so they understand they had not deviated into pagan practices. They had not yoked up with the unbelievers that area. They're saying, we are the same. We are the same doctrinally. We are the same in behavior. We're the same in our vision. We're the same in our goals. The Lord God of gods. It's a word, this word witness is a word synonymous with testimony. It was a public declaration that they wanted oneness. May I say this morning, that's why I love about coming to church at Heritage Baptist Church. Because you know, the we don't have an altar per se that we go to to establish solidarity. You know where the solidarity comes from? The unity comes from? The unity, the unity comes when we assemble here as a church and we start singing congregational hymns and we lift up our hearts together to the Lord and as after we lift up our hearts together for the Lord, we take the Word of God and the Word of God is being preached to us and it's being translated in different languages and the Word of God brings our hearts together and may be translated in Spanish, might be translated in Chinese, might be translated one day in Vietnamese, but let me tell you this morning, as it's being translated, it's still the Word of God we're proclaiming and the Word of God is what promotes most oneness and the word of God which draws us together listen let's agree about one thing we love Jesus and we come together because we believe that Jesus saves we believe that as a church we're committed to the gospel message and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that's what he's saying there I don't know about you but I was rehearsing my mind over and over again these verses as they were giving this explanation I mean they were nervous nine and a half tribes with their swords drawn against two and a half tribes? Hey, you figure out, you're outnumbered four to one, amen? You're talking about a major civil war that was bad if it happened. It's not they were afraid of being killed, but they were, they were, they were broken because they were falsely accused. And so you'll ruin people by false accusation. You'll hurt people by badly, by making wrong assumptions. We see the explanation. Then notice verses 30 and 34. We see the exoneration. I love this. Verse 30. When Phineas the priest and the prince of the congregation, the heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him, heard the words of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Master spake. Notice, it pleased them. Who took the lead? Phineas. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Praise God for common sense. Amen? Amen. This man had the prudence of God. They had to have a spiritual man lead the way. They had to have a man who is elected by office. Yes, he was of the line of Aaron. But praise God, Phineas, every time we find Phineas mentioned Scripture, he's a man of great wisdom. He's a man of great zeal. He's a man who loves the Lord, who's a man who's got common sense. He's a man who leads the right way. And he realized that if he didn't make the right decision, if he let his feelings get in the way, or if he let his preferences get in the way, a civil war could have erupted, and the blood of many, many of his brethren could have been on his head. And 
he listened to their testimony and he read their faces and he was praying for God to give him wisdom. And when he heard those things, not only did it please him, but it pleased the others. And I almost can imagine Phineas like this. He's listening to them and he turns his face and he looks at the other 10 men. And he says, guys, I think they're telling us the truth. Hey, guys, they're not bluffing us. Hey, guys, they're true and they're real. They're right about that, that we don't want future generations having division. We don't want future generations separating out. We don't want to be a divided congregation. And by the way, we don't want to be a divided church. We want to be a church that's unified, going on for Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says it pleased them what they saw. That's why I love what it says in Psalms 133. Behold how pleasant for brethren to dwell in unity. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall see God. In Phineas, verse 32, he goes back and tells the rest of the congregation. He brought them word again. Look at verse 33. And the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them to battle, destroy the land, wherein the children of Reuben and Gadwell. Now tonight, we're going to see a passage of Scripture where we see an opposite of that. They had to verify the word. But Phineas was a man who could be trusted. Phineas was a man who stood in the gap. Phineas was the, was, was the difference maker. Phineas was a man who has proven his integrity and his spirituality. He brought a good report back. The potential division war was averted. A potential misunderstanding that could have turned out deadly was circumvented. And watch this as we close that chapter. Look what it says here in verse, verse 34. And the tune of Reuben, the tune of Gad, called the altar Ed. For it shall be a witness between us and, the, and us that the Lord is God. You know what they did? The word Ed in Hebrew means witness. And the two and a half tribes, the hard intention was revealed. They meant nothing wrong by it. They were not doctrinally unsound. They had not become pagan. They had not become contemporary. They said, let this altar stay here as a witness between us and God. That we're one and the same. Now I'm going to give you some application. We're done. Okay? I want you to notice lastly, a persuasive duty. I want you to notice this morning, there's... Some things God wants us to do with what we see here from this teaching lesson today. Number one, go back to Proverbs 18, 13, would you? He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is falling shame unto him. Number one, get the facts before you jump the gun. Especially in our families, get the facts before you jump the gun. Sometimes people say things wrong. Did you mean this? What did you mean by that? Don't make bad assumptions. Don't be guilty of false accusations. Get the facts before you jump the gun. Number two, this is very strong. Listen very carefully. Let's get out of the gossip and rumor mill. Amen? Let's get out of the gossip and rumor mill. Okay? You just can't wait to get it, and you're going to tell somebody else about it? Confess that sin today. And by the way, if somebody brings that junk to you, you should stop them right in their tracks. Say, wait a minute, really? Is that true? Well, let's go to the pastor and go ask pastor about that. I promise you'll change your story. The story will disappear. Stop it right there. Somebody comes to you with divisive information, you need to stop them. I'm a member of this church. Don't you bring that garbage in this church. This is God's church. The doctrines being preached here is not a, is not a controversial. The Bible is going to be controversial if you come in with other doctrine. Sunday afternoon is not supposed to be roast Pastor Fong. Sunday afternoon is to rejoice in the Lord that we heard the word of God. God spoke to our hearts and we can say, God, I'm going to live the way I'm supposed to live for God. Amen. Thirdly, be in submission to the spiritual authority of the local church. Now, watch this. What if the, ten, the, other, ten, the other ten representatives turned against Phineas and said, Phineas, we outnumber you, buddy. You don't have a say in this. We think they're out wrong. We don't agree with you. Hey, they were in submission to spiritual authority. They trusted this man because he'd proven himself over and over again as a man of God who could get the job done. It is not anyone's prerogative to promote doctrine contrary to what the Bible teaches and what this church teaches. To do so, is the Bible labels it as a heretic and divisive. Then fourthly, remember, Jesus was misjudged by the people of his day. If you feel misjudged, you're in good company because Jesus was misjudged. Amen. I feel like nobody loves me. I feel like I'm being misjudged all the time. Well, stand in line with me. Amen. Jesus was judged by the people of his day. 
Man, you reach out and say, I'm just preaching that for Brother Gibson was with his church this past week and, and it went a little bit longer just to help him understand that. But man, you get to John 7, you get to John chapter 8, and you realize that they, they misjudged and he can't. And, he, and Jesus makes his declaration in John 8, 12. I'm the light of the world. But these people decided to stay in darkness. That's sad. That's sad. Jesus was doubted. He was called the son of Belial. He was criticized and accused of blaspheming God. He was misjudged as being, 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 and they unlawfully tried him. So if you feel like you're misjudged sometimes, don't forget Jesus was misjudged. And fifthly, would you consider the role of Phineas? Now Phineas came as a high priest. He was the high priest there. He heard the confession of the two and a half tribes and promoted reconciliation. Remember, the nine and a half had their swords drawn. They're ready to go to war. Phineas stood in the gap. Now, as I close this morning, I want you to think about Phineas as we close it, because he's such a positive light in all of this. Phineas is the mediator. Jesus Christ is your mediator mine. For there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't need a man to stand between you and God. That man has already stood between you and God. That man was the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus took your place on the cross. And he understands where we're at. And he understands our problems. And he understands our sins. And listen, I'm thankful today that I could be misjudged. But Jesus stands in the gap for us. And Jesus, is. if you look at Phineas, he stood in the gap for these people. And Jesus is a mediator, just like Phineas, who never misunderstands. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Isaiah 11 tells us this. Look at what it says in verse, verse 1 to 3. And there shall come forth a rod out of the... Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Notice verse 3. And he shall make... And shall make of him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. The brother of this shall he slay the wicked. Listen, Jesus doesn't evaluate you and me on hearsay or what doesn't look right. He knows what's in our heart. And may I declare as I close this morning, Christ knows what's in our heart. Here's what he knows. He knows there's two groups of people this morning. Either you're saved or you're not saved. Either you're going to heaven like Mildred's in heaven now, or you're going to a terrible place called hell. And God's will for you is not to go to hell. God's will is for everyone in this room to go to heaven. How do you know that, Pastor Mom? Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. I like the fact I have a Savior in heaven who's, the moment you put your faith and trust, He starts building that mansion for you in the sky. He is a mediator who does not misunderstand. He's a mediator who drink, who bridges the gap between us and God. He's the one who brings us to the Father. He's the one who invites you to get saved this morning. And by the way, as a mediator, He also helps you as a Christian. He helps you to know that even if you're misunderstood, and it may take a while to undo those misunderstandings, to unmix the mixed signals, He still understands where you're at. He knows the hurt in your heart. And you know what? He can comfort you better than anybody else can comfort you. And He can give you the, 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 uh, the truth and the, and the confidence and the faith that you need to get through that. I'm just saying this morning, Jesus stands in the gap. And listen, more than anything else, as Phineas stood in the gap and averted a war, God, His Son, Jesus, stands in the gap and, uh, and ushers to you an invitation to call on Him to save you from your sins and that you can get saved today and heaven could be your home and today could be the day that you're born again into the family of God. And so this morning we give an invitation. You've been misunderstood? Find comfort in a God who understands. If you're someone who's been guilty of misunderstanding people and have dealt with that, hey, I got good news for you. God can forgive us of those sins because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're today here not sure you're going to heaven, why don't you decide today, on this day of October, today's October 14th, of trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and being born into the family of God. I invite you this morning, come to Jesus. I invite you this morning, call on the name of the Lord to save you. Trust in Him who alone can wash away your sins and make you a child of God. Father, this morning, thank you today for this uh, passage of Scripture that, Lord, teaches us about the, the reality that misunderstandings and judgmentalness can happen and, uh, Lord, forgive us today where we've all been guilty of being judgmental or being too quick to jump the gun or misunderstanding people, making conclusions that were not there. And thank you for the story of how Phineas, Lord, applied a cool hand on hot heads 
And uh, Lord, he, he listened to the testimony of these nine and a half. And, and Lord, what could have been a very disastrous situation was averted. And there was peace. There was uh, unity. There was solidarity among those believers. And I pray this morning that you help us as a church with all the many different personality makeups. Help us as a church to stay one in Christ. To stay unified in the Lord. And help this morning for some who today are without Christ. That accept the fact that Christ is their mediator. He stands in the gap for them. He died for their sins and rose again from the dead and offers to give to eternal life. I pray for, Lord, any man or woman or boy or girl who's not born again, who's not saved, who may think that they're saved. They'd realize the church does not save and good works does not save and baptism doesn't save and whatever may be we're trusting doesn't save. It's only Jesus shed blood on the cross that saves us from our sins. Help give faith this morning that we have faith in what Christ has done for us. Help those today who are without Christ trust in Him today. Now I'm going to ask you this morning very quickly with heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure I can go to heaven. Would you pray for me this morning? I want to be sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that today? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm not sure I'm saved and going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Listen, if you just prayed a prayer but you didn't mean it, you have never repented of your sins and turned to Christ, you need to get saved today. It's a once and for all act. We invite you this morning. If you've never gotten saved, why don't you get saved this morning? Wait just a moment. Anyone like that? You say, Pastor, God spoke to me. I need to get saved. And then for the rest of us today, I think I don't need to ask for a raise hands, but I think we can all put ourselves in the same category. Let's search our hearts if we've been judgmental and quick to jump the gun and falsely accused others and been guilty of saying things that have been a breach and maybe there's, there's a need for reconciliation with others. Why don't you be the first in Christian love to exercise reconciliation? just like Jesus did with us. Why don't you be the first this morning to resolve those differences, to unmix mixed signals? And why don't we say this morning, you know what? I'm going to strive to help this church remain doctrinally pure. I'm going to strive to help this church to be a loving church, a fired up church, a church that loves Jesus and goes on in honoring Him. Why don't you make that decision? You can do that silently and privately where you're seated or even come to the altar in boldness and courage and may it find your place kneeling down with others today to pray for Heritage Baptist Church that this will be a church that stands out in this community as a church that loves God and makes a difference. Now, Father, today, you know our hearts. Have your way in our lives today. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Your heads are bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come forward this morning, why don't you come? Find your place at the altar to pray for the church. Talk to one of the altar workers for your need. Whatever may be, you come this morning. What has the Lord spoken to you about this morning? Let's see the Lord this morning. Let's seek Him out with all our heart. Would you do that today? You know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? If you're not, we invite you today. By the way, we're on the cusp of a... We're praying to be a very well-attended friend day. Why don't we take a moment to kneel where we're at and pray for some friends to get saved. Maybe God put some people in your heart this morning in the adult Bible classes or in the service today about some people that you want to see come to church. Why don't you take a moment to pray for them. Humble yourself before God. Says, Lord, I pray my husband or my wife or, or my cousin or my brother or my sister, I pray they come to church on the day. Let's take a moment to pray for them. We'll sing another stanza. No one comes, we'll close. Lord, we thank you this morning for loving us. Thank you for the scriptures which are truth. The Bible says, sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This morning, dismiss us in a moment with your blessing. May the hand of God be upon our lives. Help us this morning that, Lord, the medicine of your word would be like a bomb and like a salve that would heal our soul and help us go forward for Christ. Thank you for all we've heard. Thank you what the scriptures have said. If someone today needs help today, help us to minister them and be there for them, we pray. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name.